This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards. If you're looking to unload your collection and maybe turn some of that old cardboard into cash, Greg Morris can help. Greg's always buying collections of vintage basketball, baseball, football, or hockey cards. If you have modern or ultra-modern graded cards, he'll buy those as well. On top of all that, Greg takes cards on consignment. Go to gregmorriscards.com to sell them your cards, or you can email joe at gregmorriscards.com directly. What's up, everyone? This is episode 154 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Uh, or sometimes you can find me at a card show. I've got a lot to talk about today, but that's where I'll start things off this week. You might remember that uh, as part of my 2022 goals, I mentioned I wanted to set up at a different card show. So in January, I chose a smaller one in the area. That kind of forced me to dust off my dime box and some of that other kind of stuff as well, the low-end kind of stuff. Well, I ended up doing that show for a second time this past weekend. You might have already seen the recap on YouTube, but I can't emphasize this enough. If you're not seeking out in-person experiences in this hobby, I think you're missing out. Now, that's not to say that the online world is horrible. I spend a lot of time there and I enjoy it. But the in-person element adds dimensions that uh, simply can't be replicated online. I won't go into all of that here again. I think I did that on a recent episode. But needless to say, went to a card show this weekend and I enjoyed that particular outing. And the interesting thing is, I didn't buy a single PC card. In fact, I only bought two cards in total. And one of them was a Chris Weber X-Fractor that actually walked up to the table. It was sandwiched in a large snap case between about 20 or 30 90s base cards. Um, so that one, you know, didn't even buy that off another vendor. It's just a walk-up. And then the second card was a Tristan Thompson Flux Parallel number to 5, which definitely not... Uh, not my normal purchase, but I have a good hobby friend that's been a big help to me that super collects Tristan. And uh, I saw that and I was stunned. And I messaged him. I said, hey, do you need this? And and he was shocked as well. Now, the irony was um, I found this card at the same at the table right next to me. It's the guy who rides with me, the guy who sets up with me a lot of the time. It was in his inventory and I didn't even know it. I hadn't looked through it. You know, because usually he just tells me, hey, I got something you might want. Well, he didn't think I'd want a Tristan Thompson, which, no, I didn't, but uh, I did want it for my friend. So um, I messaged my super collector friend, and the rest was history. So um, the guy that I set up with, he hadn't really sold much at that point, so the sale helped him. And then the new owner of the card was ecstatic because this was one that he hadn't been able to find. So enjoy it, Tim. That one should hit your mailbox in a few days. Um, one other thing that happened there that I thought was interesting, something that you don't see every day. And, and I should point out here ahead of time, no dealers were harmed throughout the course of this story, but there was a guy that came over to my table, another vendor, and he wanted to buy my entire dime box. And he told me that he did this kind of stuff all the time, all, you know, these bulk deals. Well, um, 
You know, I put prices on dollar boxes before I know how to do that, but I never intended to sell an entire dime box. Like this is a five row full of base cards. So I had no idea what kind of figure to throw at him and he wouldn't tell me what he normally paid. So I took the number of cards in there and I calculated them at a steep discount. That was the only way, you know, I knew at least that would give me, give us a starting point. I gave him the numbers. He made an awful look um, and, and shook his head. So apparently my steep discount wasn't steep enough, but he wouldn't counter. So we got nowhere. Um, eventually he came back over and he left the, you know, the five row was out of his mind, but he, he was looking at a couple binders I'd put together of guys like Shaq or Iverson or Tim Duncan. And once again, I calculated the discount and it wasn't to his liking. Now he did offer a counter this time, but uh, it seemed ridiculously low to me. So I just said, thanks, but no thanks. And he obviously wasn't happy about that. So I kid you not, he marched back over to his table and just as soon as he went to plop down in his chair, I heard a loud crash and it had crumpled to the ground with him now on top of it. I will say though, I've seen a lot of flimsy card show chairs. He's not the first dealer I've seen hit the deck and he probably won't be the last either. Let's add that to the list of card show tips. Watch where you sit. Okay, moving on. As you guys know, uh, or probably know, the NBA trade deadline is Thursday at 3 p.m., and I figure by the time some of you are listening to this, that time has come and gone. Well, anyway, that's provided a little bit of a challenge for me when it came to show prep, because I had several iterations pieced together, but the Pacers were making moves, and let me emphasize the fact that that was moves, plural, and that's something I'm definitely not used to. So I've had to call some major audibles over the last couple days, but here's what I have in store for you today. I'm going to weigh in on some of the Pacers moves that happened before Thursday. I've got one lone piece of mail I want to talk about. (laughs) I've got another installment of Collector Classifieds. And then for today's main segment, I want to circle back to the trade deadline and focus on how it could potentially impact collectors, or at least give some of my experiences um, with guys that I've collected or teams that I've collected and and um, players that have moved places, because I feel like a lot of the trade-related content I've seen in the past kind of lacks substance, and really the present, too. For example, I saw a post on Tuesday. Uh, It was an account that informed its followers that a pair of traded players had already seen a small bump in value. Well, duh, yes, this was like three hours after the trade was made. So I'm not going to sit here and read charts to you, So I've been doing this for nearly three decades. Instead, I want to reflect on my past experiences and discuss some of the choices I have in front of me today, um, seeing as my team just made a couple major moves. So you want to make sure to stay tuned for that. Um, And speaking of the moves, that's a good starting point. I, I should add a quick disclaimer here. I'm more qualified to weigh in on the cardboard aspect of things, which I'll do in the main segment. But uh, based on the amount of, of messages I received this week, It seems like you guys want to hear some of my thoughts, uh, at least on the Pacers moves. I know there were other trades this week. You can, there are analytics guys and NBA guys out there. You can hear more about those. But when it comes to the Pacers, I had a lot of people reach out to me. When I left work on Tuesday, I, I probably had at least 50 messages. And, you know, I'm sorry. I know the majority of my replies were short, but I wanted to get to every person that reached out. And I want you to know that I'm honored that you think of me whenever something happens with my favorite team. So 
Well, what exactly happened? Let's start on Sunday afternoon. Indy traded Karis LeVert and a second-round pick to the Cavs for the contract of Ricky Rubio, um, a protected first-rounder, and a pair of seconds. Now, in a perfect world, I, I would have loved to have received more, but I think in today's market that the move was fair. Um, I like Karras. He seemed like a good guy, but the offense kind of stalls on the floor. He's the kind of guy that can score 40 points, and it's not efficient, and you lose the game. And uh, so he, he, everything just kind of stalls when he's out there. And he had kind of gone rogue on Carlisle's offense this year anyway, so um, it was probably time for him to move on while there was still some value there. Um, now, Ricky Rubio isn't going to play in Indiana, but his contract will should have some value. And, uh, you know, I had this part written out ahead of time, but I felt like the move put the Pacers in a great spot to make another deal a little further down the road. It ended up happening about 48 hours sooner than I thought it might. On Tuesday afternoon, the Pacers traded DeMontis Sabonis, Justin Holiday, Jeremy Lamb, and a second-round pick to the Kings for Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson. And I tell you what, I'd heard a little Kings chatter before, but it all revolved around De'Aaron Fox. And, you know, I wasn't terribly excited about him or his contract or the fact that he can't shoot, but uh, I was trying to talk myself into it before it happened. You know, hey, the Pacers need some dynamic guards. They really haven't had them. And, you know, everything I had read said Halliburton was unavailable. But at the end of the day, the Kings are going to Kings. And they gave up the 21-year-old, and I am beyond excited. I mean, you guys sensed that before I even posted anything on social media. But uh, this gives the Pacers a point guard that can shoot, which was much needed. Shooting in general was much needed. I I think I read a stat somewhere that the only player shooting above 35% from the three for the Pacers was Justin Holiday, And that's pretty rough, especially for Carlisle's typical offense um, I'm hoping Buddy Buddy Heald can find his shooting stroke from past years too. I've always had kind of an irrational affinity for Buddy, and, and Buddy's kind of had an irrational confidence as well. I guess that's what I like. But um, if he can't find that stroke, hey, that would make for a nice bonus should they decide to keep him. Uh, Tristan Thompson doesn't look like he's going to stay, but um, you know what? That that's just a filler piece anyway. Now, I try not to listen to the talking heads too much when it comes to NBA coverage. I will say when I was driving home from work on Tuesday, I didn't have a lot of options, so I turned on the Sirius NBA channel, which is pretty awful every time I've listened to it, but uh, it was Rick Kamla and then former NBA player Antonio Daniels, and they did, you know, they played this game that everyone's obsessed with when a trade goes down. They said, who won the trade? And um, I'll say this from the start, I don't think every trade has to have a clear-cut winner. The goal is for both teams to make moves that... Uh, they think will fit their roster or their vision better. And um, Antonio Daniel said something ridiculous like, well, look at the starting five for the Pacers after this and look at the Kings. And then he said the Kings were undoubtedly the winners because that their starting five is now better. I don't think that's how this works. Um, you know, it, it's funny because it was one of the earlier picks from the Levert trade that enabled this to happen. So you got to think long-term and he's, he's not thinking long-term here, but um, anyway, I think, you know, this puts the Pacers on a great track to rebuild, especially if they can keep losing games this year on their way to a top five pick. Um, I'm thankful for Domas's time here. I have a feeling he told management he was ready to go. I kind of got that vibe from him. Um, and I thought it was time for him to go as well, but, um, 
Likewise, it's time for some of his cards to get shipped out. So I've got some Sabonis cards. And as I'm recording this, I literally have a pair of Domas cards packed up and ready for a new home. They're shipping out tomorrow, but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here. So I'll save the traded player card talk for the main segment. Okay, on to the mail. Um, overall, the mail's been pretty slow this week, and, and it should probably stay that way for a little while after the last couple weeks I've had. But there was one card that popped up on eBay that I've been looking to add to the PC. It was a 2015-2016 Panini Court Kings Performance Art Prime Relic of Kawhi Leonard, numbered 6 of 25. And this is more of a basic three-color trim patch. In fact, there are a lot of better-looking Kawhi patches out there, but this is one of those cards where the context and the set matters to me quite a bit. You see, Performance Art started in 2013 and was part of the product for five seasons. And in my opinion, the first three years were great, and then the final two kind of trailed off. Um, The fourth year was especially ugly, but that's not what this card is. This is from the third year. Um, They all, however, featured a canvas-like surface, a nice in-game action shot, and most important, a game-dated patch. And this one's from a game against the Cavs where Kawhi dropped 24, 9, and 7. I know someone in in my last mailbag said, does it matter what kind of stats they've dropped on the game-dated stuff? Um, It's a nice little bonus, remember? So 24, 9, and 7, that's a pretty good stat line. And um, I've been wanting a nice Kawhi patch for a little while, especially after I started compiling a list of the greatest 75, or I guess I should say 76 greatest players. And then I think the fact that he's won two finals MVPs with two different teams already is incredible. And I wanted something that represented one of those two teams. Now, uh, Sholey actually picked one of these up on ComC a couple months ago before I could get to it. And uh, he was sort of holding it over me, all in good fun, of course. Well, now I've got one, Steve, so it's back to taunting me with your Celtics legends instead. Hey, everyone. My name is Carter, also known as Miss Nakata. You can find me on Instagram and now Twitter at MCBasketballPC. My main collection is Mike Conley, so I'm always looking for rare cards of his. And in particular, I'm looking to finish the Mike Conley 2007 Finest Rainbow. That's card number 61, and I need the X-Fractor out of 15, and I believe there's a one-of-one Super-Fractor as well. I'm also looking for some other cards, uh, such as a Sharif Abdurrahim Credentials Parallel from EX2000 and a Mike Conley Prism Gold from 2012. Thanks. Okay, thank you, Carter. My plan is to get him on the show sometime soon when his schedule allows. I mentioned him a few episodes ago because he made a really elaborate post about his hobby goals for 2022. He's got an odd pyramid of players, and I can't wait to find out the rationale behind that. Nonetheless, Mike Conley is a big part of it, and I feel like we should be able to track down some of those cards for him. As I've said before, I want to use this platform to help collectors more over the course of this year. We, uh, I say we as in the collecting community, are going to help find the cards that you're looking for. All right. Before I move into today's main segment, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. This is Slick Leonard, 
You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Boom, baby! Okay, so as I discussed earlier in the show, there was a flurry of activity in the NBA this week. I'm recording this late Wednesday night, and I can already say um, not every trade deadline has been as exciting as this one. There have been years where I sat at the house hitting F5 repeatedly, and nothing happened. But when there is activity, there are some general hobby principles that are more or less proved true every time. Uh, First off, cards of those players will get listed. Could be that a team collector or player collectors, they don't want them anymore. Could be people that are kind of sort of watching from a distance that happen to own cards of these players. Maybe they hit them in a break or something like that, and they realize now's a good time to unload them. Uh, and then secondly, cards of traded players will get purchased. Right? So they'll get listed, they'll get purchased. Uh, maybe it's collectors of the new team that are looking to get a head start on a particular player. Uh, could be people that uh, like the new situation more and are willing to invest in it, although I think that's kind of flawed. Or maybe it's people that have collected these players all along and they're capitalizing on the fact that a bunch of cards hit the market all at once. And a lot of times rare cards. So even though they could be paying a small premium, these cards might not show up otherwise. So once again, cards of traded players will get listed. Cards of traded players will get purchased. (laughs) Pretty simple, right? So when content creators try to wow us by showing this movement just hours after a trade, you know, I don't I don't really care. This is nothing new. All the attention and excitement from these moves has natural effects in the hobby. And I think the data will reinforce that. So if they want to wow us with data, maybe, you know, show us the trends ahead of time and help us to understand historical precedents. Because if you don't study history, you're doomed to repeat it, right? We've all heard that. Um, and I will say personally, I don't want to repeat some of my history when it comes to dealing with trades. I've been a team collector for as long as I can remember. Um, I've been a player collector at times. I guess I would consider myself one now with Ron Artest, maybe to a different extent. But um, as both a team collector and a player collector, I've made some mistakes. So I figure there might be some value in me going back and, and talking through some of these experiences. So Uh, I want to look back and use four different trades from my franchise's history to show you how my philosophy has evolved a bit over time. And and that's not to say that I perfected it. I guess it's, you know, I'm still figuring it out and this new trade provides a new wrinkle in that. But I am going to try and close with a general overview of my approach um, or some of the practices that I might use when uh, thinking about cards of traded players. Okay, so I mentioned Ron Artest. We'll just start there. That was the first big trade that affected my collection. I've talked about it before. Player collecting was a big deal in the online world in the 2000s. And if you had a player collection, it kind of shaped your online identity. I know I didn't have the best Artest collection in the world, but I was pretty proud of what I had nonetheless. Um, The brawl happened in 2004, and I stuck with them through that. I I felt, you know, I deserved some kind of an award for that, it felt like at the time. But... Um, Then things got rocky again in 2005, and he asked for a trade, and he was moved to the Kings. Figured that out, another Kings trade, right? In early 2006. This left me at a bit of a crossroads. I didn't want to collect a guy that turned his back on my team. So I was team first then, and I still am. But ending the Ron Artest collection, in turn, kind of forfeited my identity in an online space that I very much enjoyed. And that's kind of what I ended up doing, and I I switched to baseball for a little bit. 
So I kept some of my cheaper Ron stuff just because it wasn't worth much. It wasn't worth the hassle of trying to get rid of it, which it's funny. That included a 2003 Topps Chrome Gold, which I still have, thankfully. Um, but I got rid of a really nice Upper Deck Ultimate 101. And I've said it before, I've moved a lot of cards over the years. I've moved cards that have gone up in value quite a bit after I've owned them. That doesn't bother me. My only real card regret is selling that Artest one of one. You know, I thought I needed the money. Looking back, it really wasn't worth all that much. I should have just tucked it away in the box with the cheaper stuff and made a decision later on, but I didn't. And I switched to baseball and my pyramid or my collecting priorities were shifting quite a bit. You know, I don't know if that's a great time to make decisions on low numbered cards in one of ones. So I probably should have held off at that point. So anyway, that's a regret. That's the only one I still have to this day, um, but it is valuable to me in that it is a learning experience. That was trade number one. The second trade that I want to talk about took place um, ten year, over 10 years later. That was the Paul George trade in June of 2017. Now, uh, Paul George was a different situation than Ron Artest because he was actually drafted by the team. So, you know, I had rookie stuff. I had veteran stuff. Um, you might remember the events as they unfolded. The Pacers were very competitive in, in like 2012, 2013, 2014, and they were eliminated by the Heat all three years, but they put up an incredible fight, and they were really fun to watch. Well, um, Paul George broke his leg in 2014, and that kind of blew the team up. Hibbert fell off the face of the earth. David West left. A lot of things just happened after that, and... Um, you know, the Pacers stuck with him through rehab and everything, and he wasn't happy with some of the moves that they were making. Now, despite all that, he was saying the right things that everyone want him, wanted him to say, but at the same time, he also kept flirting with the L.A. teams. Like, he went on the Jimmy Kimmel show, started kind of talking about the Lakers, and you got this sense that he wanted out. And that made the 2016-2017 season unbearable. Well, that and watching Jeff Teague, I should say, um which, you know, I look back on those times differently now, but there were a lot of frustrating things happening then. So um, the Pacers were more or less forced to trade Paul George, and they did that in June of 2017. Well, for Victor Oladipo and Demonis Sabonis, two guys that will come up here in a short bit. But um, with Paul George, I absolutely hated the way the whole thing went down. And similar to Ron, I felt like he betrayed the team. He turned his back on him. And I developed this irrational hatred for him that has kind of lingered over the years and it still pops up, although it's more, you know, jokingly now than anything else, kind of a joke with my friends. But um, yeah, I'm still a little bitter towards Paul George. And um, you know what, though? I didn't get rid of all my Paul George stuff. I had learned that lesson with Ron. So um, I evolved a little bit over that time, but... I also made up my mind that I wasn't going to purchase any Paul George cards moving forward. And that's a shame because, number one, I now realize that I took that team for granted because the Pacers haven't won a playoff series since 2014. Um, and then number two, I also took a lot of the, the same era, the 2012 to 2014, of Panini products for granted at the time. Uh, and now I feel like those were the glory days for Panini and for, for basketball and patches and I'm trying to go back and acquire that stuff. Well, guess what? Which Pacer was featured in a lot of the cool sets? Okay. Well, yeah, it was Paul George. So um, I broke the ice with a uh, 2013 Prism Blue Parallel. I love that set. I, I got the Paul George. It's, you know, an awesome card. So that went well. 
I bought some other things since then, a blank uh, blank slate card, you know, some other things. So I've loosened my stance on not buying Paul George cards, and I think my Pacers collection is better off for it. So, um, you know, there were some lessons learned there. Not to say that I'd perfected the process, but uh, I'm changing, right? I'm, I'm evolving over time. Now, um, it took many years after that trade, right? That trade was in 2017. Here I am five years later, and I'm a lot more comfortable buying those cards. So after Paul George then, um, he was traded for Victor Oladipo and Sabonis, like I said, and they were projected to win something like 30 games, and they blew that number out of the water. They were really exciting to watch. Victor Oladipo was hitting game winners. Um, he was saying, you know, this is my city, right? He was embracing the whole thing. And I got a little confident. I, I, you know what? Hey, he's he was a uh, Indiana Hoosier in college. Um, so I went out and I bought some nice Magic rookies because I'm like, I can justify this, even though I don't have a big IU collection. I can justify this, right? And I had a lot of confidence in him. Didn't think he would leave. Um, you know, he just found this new home. And then, well, he had a brutal leg injury. Right, wait, am I reading the wrong part here? This is going back to Paul George. No. We had another pacer with a brutal leg injury, and I got sick to my stomach when it happened because I'm like, we just went through this with Paul George. Um, I was afraid something goofy would happen, and it did. Lo and behold, Victor, you know, he turned down a generous extension after we rehabbed him. He let the team know that he wanted out, and um, in my mind, this put him with Ron and, and with Paul George, except... Not only did I have Pacers cards, but I had cards of his previous team, the Magic. And um, believe it or not, I kept them all. I, you know, I don't know if that's going to be the end game for him, but I kept them all. I think I was just so scared to move anything after Ron and PG, even though the circumstances were different. So I'm just sitting on it. Um, so that one's kind of, you know, who knows what's going to happen there. And then that brings us to this week, where the other piece of the Paul George trade, which was Sabonis was traded to the Kings, um, and for a player that I'm pretty excited about. Now, Sabonis' exit wasn't really controversial like the other guys I mentioned. Did I think that he wanted out? Yes, but there really weren't any hard feelings. And um, nonetheless, though, I think I need to weed some of his stuff out. And uh, I made a YouTube video about that. You might want to check it out. It's got some visuals with it. But here's what I decided. I said, okay, I'm a Pacers collector first and foremost. So if he's wearing a Thunder uniform or it depicts him on draft night, that's not really relevant to the Pacers anymore. So I need to move that stuff and use those funds elsewhere if if the need comes up. Uh, now, if it's a Pacers card, like a jumbo patch that fits the rest of my Pacers stuff, helps me narrate the, the uh, history of the franchise, it stays. Okay, so not a lot of stuff is going. Um, if it's a Pacers card that doesn't have any real significance to me, but still has a little value, I'm, I'll look to move it. So for instance, I had a... Uh, like an immaculate sticker auto that was crooked. And um, I'm thinking, well, if this goes for 20 or 30 bucks, I'll probably move it. I looked it up. It goes for like 10. So I'm not sure. It'll probably go in the Com C box. But I do want to get a Sabonis Pacers on card auto. So I'm, I might wait until that happens. But um, probably be moving some of that other stuff. So anyway, you know, I, I talked to, to Show Lee a little bit. And he reminded me, you can't keep everything. And that's something that's good to keep in mind. Now... Um, this trade though is relatively unique to the other ones. Even though I warmed up to Oladipo, I wasn't excited about that at the time when he became a pacer. Tyrese Halliburton, however, I am very excited about. 
there's a part of me that wants to go out and buy a bunch of Halliburton cards. All the while I know he's in a King's uniform. So I've got to be cautious here. But then I think back to when I did the same thing with Victor Oladipo, and I realize, you know, it might be better just to be patient. Could it be that I'm finally learning from my past mistakes? Uh, You know, maybe. One thing I did with uh, Malcolm Brogdon, though, that that was a different option, is I bought relics from the NBA Combine because I feel like, you know, that's kind of a significant event. Um, Doesn't have too many other team logos on it. You know, that's pretty cool. And Panini did those for a few years, but um, we, we haven't had them for a while. We definitely didn't have them for last year's COVID year. And then the majority of it, of Halliburton's NBA stuff is unworn. So here a week or two ago, I made the comment for Cassius Stanley. Oh, thankfully, you know, he's not in any of these products, so I don't have to buy any unworn patches. I'm not tempted to buy them. There'll never be a rookie that tempts me to buy them. Well, guess what? I have to admit, I, I did look at a few Halliburton patches, but then I snapped out of it because it's Kings and it's unworn. That would be a double whammy. So, um, you know, I still want a Halliburton card, though. And I, I think I will end up buying one. I'm just not going to go crazy. But uh, I'll try and find something that doesn't scream Kings as much as the other cards. And I, I know there's an Onyx. There's a brand out there, an unlicensed brand called Onyx, that did this like vintage-looking set and that's got an auto. I'll probably pick one of those out, at least if the price is right. So if you got one, reach out to me, and, and we'll see where we can go from there. So um, anyway, just to recap, here are three principles that I use as a team collector to help navigate player transactions. Number one, priorities, priorities, priorities. I've learned I've got to keep my priorities in mind. I'm a team collector first. I have certain parallels like prism golds, optic golds that I gravitate towards. So those are going to stay. Like there's a Karis LeVert optic gold I have. It's got a Pacers logo on it. That stays, right? I have a pyramid that I try to stick to when purchasing. And if I did a good job when I'm purchasing it might eliminate some problems down the road or if they get traded because that's just the nature of the NBA now. It's going to happen more and more. Um, So that's really point number two. I try not to accumulate cards of current roster players in a previous team's uniform because they're going to leave and then it makes no sense. Um, And then principle number three here, you can't keep everything. It's okay to move things. Um, Now, you know, it's it's probably best value-wise to move a player while his name's being blasted all over social media and he's in a new spot and you got a new fan base that wants to buy him. But at the same time, you don't want to make any rash decisions. So, you know, if I need to set some of my Sabona stuff aside and say, I'm going to wait and think this through a little bit more, you know, I can go ahead and do that. I'd rather make decisions that I feel good about in the long term than rushing something to, you know, recoup a few bucks just for the time being. All right. Well, there you have it. It's actually after midnight on Thursday morning. I'm exhausted. Um, I hope that was something different for you today. I do want to remind you, I'm not telling you what to do in your specific situation. I can only share my experiences and hope that they help you in some way. At the end of the day, collect what you like, collect how you want. But if you ever want to draw from my experiences and you want more information, feel free to reach out. As usual, you can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast or on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top, 
Click that and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.